Sometimes people are molded by the time they live in. Others mold the time. It was a time of hope, a time of wonder, but more importantly, it was a time of revolution. It was 1916. Across the world, people were driven to the slaughter by their oppressors, both domestic and foreign. A symbol was looked for across the world to show that one day small nations might be free. From a small village in North Kerry, a light shone bright. He was born in 1875 in Ballylongford and he was called the O'Rahilly. The grocer's son was to be moulded by the village, engulfed in the beliefs of its people. It was these values that would take him into war and his country into peace. A rebel leader he would become. A freedom fighter he would be known. And a martyr he would be. Born into an impoverished land, Michael O'Rahilly came from a family who had the ability to make money out of air. They worked as merchants and owned the biggest shop in the small town. This fortuitous start to life saw him receive a good education, taking him all the way to New York to study medicine. It was here he met his reason for being, a woman called Nancy Brown, and with her the young doctor and his wife brought three sons into the world. The son's early years were spent in New York until they later moved to Paris. Michael was making it in life, his horizons were widened and his sons never wanted for anything due to the base in life he had provided for them. In 1909, Michael and Nancy moved to Dublin. They bought a fine house in Ballsbridge where they settled quickly. Michael spent his days working hard and in the evening would listen to stories of Irish history in the local pubs and street corners. These were lessons he would not have received in school as they were deemed illegal by the British authorities in Ireland. He learned of Tone and Emmett, Napertandy and Lord Edward. These tales liberated something new in Michael, a sense of injustice grew. He began to see how his life was not the norm for an Irish Catholic. Tormented by a sense of guilt for what he had achieved whilst others had so little, Michael ventured back to Ballylongford. 
he saw that in all the time he was gone, the village never really developed. He began researching his own history and learned of the siege of Carrigafoyle Castle. Just a 40 minute walk from his home, the castle lay in ruins. Having always assumed this was just some old castle, Michael assumed it was part of British history and not his own. What he learnt, however, was very different. Scalefadigar The castle was built by the O'Connors of North Kerry in 1490 and was considered one of the strongest fortresses in Ireland. So strong was its defences that it became known as the Guardian of the Shannon. Easter 1580 saw this all tested. 1580 saw the Second Desmond Rebellion in full swing. This was an attempt by the Earl of Desmond to liberate the Irish people from British oppression. The rebellion at this point was not going well for the Irish. The British soldiers marched without stalling through Ireland. Destroying crops, burning houses and killing anyone they set their eyes upon. One of the last garrisons still standing at this point against the British Crown was Carrigafoyle Castle. Inside it, 50 Irish men, women and children, as well as 16 Spanish soldiers who had attempted to help the Irish cause. They locked the gates and hunkered down waiting for the British to attack. The days passed, the food ran low and they didn't get sight of anyone who might resemble an invader. Then, on a clear day, the castle was rocked with the sound of boulders flying towards it. The British had arrived. Shelling the castle with large catapults, they bombarded it for two days, six hours a day, until the walls came down. 600 soldiers marched to the castle, whilst the 66 Irish and Spanish prepared for the incoming battle. They held their own for a time, but there is only so much farmers can do against a professional army, and they were defeated. Carrigafoyle had fallen, taking with it the last hopes of Irish liberation. The survivors, men, women and children, were hung from nearby trees and left hanging as a mark of power. Interfering with the bodies to try and bury them was punishable by death. Michael returned to Dublin. His Celtic soul had opened and longed to be fed. 
He joined the Gaelic League and became fluent in the ancient language. He now had a mindset where he wanted all the people of Ireland to stop living as subjects of the crown and begin living as citizens of the nation. He returned the O to his family's name and labelled himself the head of the family. This gave him the title The O'Rahilly, indicating that any O'Rahilly who came after him would be of his descent. Due to his intelligence and his desire to get better conditions for the Irish people, he quickly rose through the ranks of the nationalist movement. 1912 saw the Irish political class push for what was known as Home Rule, essentially looking for the ability to make their own laws for their people whilst under British rule. This was blocked by the armed movement of the Ulster Volunteers. The Ulster Volunteers were a group dedicated to keeping Irish Catholics oppressed, as it furthered the growth of their wealth given that they were the landlords reaping the benefits from the oppressed Irish. Enraged, the O'Rahilly was part of a group who created the Irish Volunteers. A military group dedicated to the liberation of the Irish people. He quickly became the group's director of arms. In this role, he was responsible for 1,000 rifles being imported into Dublin. This role brought quite a lot of stress into his life, as he was followed by secret police known as the G-Men, and his home was regularly ransacked by British soldiers. He did, however, oppose an armed rebellion, as he didn't want to see Irish lives lost. So much so did he oppose violence that he tried to have it called off. Given his ability to rally people, the rebel leaders saw him as being an issue and attempted to have him kidnapped to stop him putting people off any potential fight which might take place. Assuming that Podrick Pierce had been the organizer of the kidnapping, he drove to Pierce's school burst into his office, pointed a gun at him and said, whoever tries to kidnap me better be quicker on the draw. Due to confusion of the lack of guns after Roger Casement had been arrested bringing weapons to the country, the Easter Rising was called off. After the order, the O'Rahilly spent the next 24 hours racing around the country to spread the message to avoid any unnecessary bloodshed. He travelled through Cork, Kerry, Limerick and Tipperary. When he arrived back in Dublin to replan the impending revolution, he was treated unexpectedly with the sounds of gunfire. The message he had been given was wrong. The revolution had begun. Unwilling to see his countrymen and women go into battle alone and recalling everything he had learned of his home in Ballylongford, the O'Rahilly ironed his uniform, suited up 
and marched alone to the GPO to join his comrades. When he arrived, he was met at the door of the GPO by a rebel, and he told him, Well, I've helped to wind the clock. I might as well be here as it strikes. He gathered his rifle and settled in for battle. As he looked out from his point of view, he saw the Helga, a large battleship making its way up the Liffey and setting its sights on the GPO. Much like the siege of Carrigafoyle, the British shelled the building until its defences were weakened. They then marched to the Irish in order to begin the slaughter. Upon realising the similarities of this day, the Orahali shouted aloud, It is madness, but it is a glorious madness. The GPO was gone, James Connolly, the military leader of the rebels, was wounded, and the Orahali was quickly promoted to lead the rebels. Upon realising they must flee, O'Rahilly gathered those inside the GPO to a side door. He reached to his hip and pulled his sword from its sling, raising it to the sky and shouting aloud, De Aaron, for Ireland. They made a dash to their comrades in the forecourts. When exiting the building, they first saw the damage which had been done to the city from the shelling, and each and every one of them was shocked. With O'Rahilly at the front leading the charge, they turned down onto Moore Street where, for the first time in the battle, they came face to face with modern machinery. Something built for trench warfare in Europe was facing them at the top of the street. On a barricade made of tables, chairs and couches rested a machine gun. Behind it, an expert shooter. In front of it, O'Rahilly and his men. They scurried to opposite sides of the road but kept running, always moving forward. As he led the charging rebels, with shouts of encouragement to those who were chasing behind him, the O'Rahilly was hit and fell, and as he hit the ground, his sword slipped from his hand and onto the street. His battle was over. The day ended and the moon rose. As it lit up the Dublin streets and the rubble of this once great city, Smoke rose into the night sky from the dying embers, and the O'Rahilly, now alone, lay in a doorway catching his final breaths. With the last of his earthly energy, he took from his pocket a pen and paper. He began to write. Darling Nancy, I was shot leading a rush up Moore Street and took refuge in a doorway. While I was there, I heard the men pointing out where I was and I made a bolt for the lane I am in now. 
I got more than one bullet, I think. Tons and tons of love, dearie, to you and to the boys and to Nell and Anna. It was a good fight, anyhow. Please deliver this to Nanny O'Rahilly, 40 Herbert Park, Dublin. Goodbye, darling. The O'Rahilly was gone. The music for this episode was written, performed and produced by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help to support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash we the Irish or leave us a review on your podcast app. Ryan is Anam Dunn. Gurav Mahakut, Slonanish. It's the big one. The Sky Half Price Sale is here. Choose from award-winning Sky TV and everything on Netflix. Or unmissable sports with every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports all half price. Take Sky Cinema and watch the biggest blockbusters. Or grab Sky Broadband Ultrafast for lightning fast speeds. Choose one that suits you. They're all half price for six months. Save big in the Sky Half Price Sale. Search Sky Half Price. Availability subject to location, TV and broadband products sold separately. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. Setup fees, min terms and further terms apply. Offer ends 2nd of September.